This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we'll study the Spirit's work, guide it into all truth, a little while, ask in my name, and the beginning of Jesus' prayer of consecration. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, as we continue our walk through St. John's Gospel on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily verse-by-verse Bible study on demand at thewordendures.org and on the Lutheran Public Radio app. This hearing isn't about overturning Roe versus Wade. Uh, in fact, this hearing is not actually about limiting access to abortion at all. This hearing isn't a debate about third trimester or second trimester or first trimester abortion. This hearing is about making sure that every newborn baby has a fighting chance, whether she's born in a labor and delivery ward or whether she's born in an abortion clinic. That's what the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act does. That's all it does. It makes sure that a baby that is born alive during a botched abortion would be given the same level of medical care that would provide it, be provided to any other baby at the same gestational stage. That's Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska opening a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing today to discuss the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Act. Why do we need a law like this? I think it was in 2002 that George W. Bush signed a Born Alive Infants Protection Act into law. What has changed in the last, well, it's now going on 18 years. What has changed with regard to abortion and the climate in the states when it comes to abortion? Greetings and welcome back to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be talking with Carol Tobias, President of National Right to Life, about that Senate committee hearing on the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Act. Dr. Tyler Arnold joins us for part two of our conversation on pastoral visitation. Then we'll discuss religious conservative support for President Trump with Andrew Walker, Associate Professor of Christian Ethics at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Joining us to discuss the Senate committee hearing on the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Act, Carol Tobias, President of National Right to Life. Carol, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. It's great to be on. Back in 2002, as you know, Congress enacted the Born Alive Infants Protection Act. Why do we need another Born Alive bill? The bill enacted in 2002 said you have to treat babies who survive abortion as human beings, as persons. And I think people just assumed that if a baby survived the abortion, they would, someone would look at that and say, okay, he or she is a human baby, survived the abortion, we need to take care of her. And they weren't. There are, of course, penalties for not taking care of you know, newborn babies or those who need medical care. There can be penalties for neglect for those in the medical field, and they were not being applied. So this new law would put some teeth into the law saying that if a baby survives an abortion, that baby has to be given the same medical treatment and care that would be afforded any child who is born prematurely at that same gestational age. What is this Senate committee actually looking at now? Is there a draft bill that they're considering, or are they simply meeting to hammer one out? A bill has been introduced by Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska, and the hearing today was on that bill. So I assume from here it will move forward onto hopefully the Senate calendar, and we may get a vote on it sometime this year, but we have not heard anything definite on that yet. 
What does it tell you that back in 2002, when the Born Alive bill passed, it passed without a single dissenting vote, and now this is considered to be maybe even a difficult thing to pass? Back many years ago, abortion was still kind of in the whole we should allow it in tough circumstances or it should be safe, legal, and rare, as we heard from many politicians. And people kind of assumed if a baby was born at a viable age that the baby would be taken care of. Now the abortion industry has gone so far to the left that they are saying it doesn't matter how old the baby is. At any point during nine months of pregnancy, if a baby is going to be aborted, that's the woman's right to do that, and they are including then a baby who survives abortion. If the intent was to end up with a dead baby, then it doesn't matter if the baby survived the abortion, the intent is still to have a dead baby. So they have just flipped their thinking around so far that they are so far out of the mainstream of America, but they are still fighting for the right to kill babies at any age of pregnancy, even if they survive the abortion. So if this bill being considered by the committee became law, would it undo those state laws where New York and other places have said, we can kill the baby anytime we want to? I'm sure there would be some court battles over that, but federal law, I believe, would supersede and say that you have to take care of that baby if he or she survives. Let's talk about the complexion of the Senate on these issues. What's the breakdown in the U.S. Senate on abortion-related bills? We can get generally 53 to 55 votes. There are a couple Democrats who will occasionally come over and vote for a pro-life bill. But in the Senate, they still have the filibuster. So you need 60 senators to actually say we're willing to vote on this bill. So the bill... If it comes to the floor this year, as I certainly hope it will, we need more than a majority because the very first vote is going to be whether or not there's a filibuster. And if we don't get 60 to break filibuster, then that will be the vote. And we would, of course, look at that and say, well, if they didn't vote to bring the bill to the floor for a vote, that's going to count the same as voting no. We need 60 instead of just a majority to get this through the Senate. And how would the House look in either consideration of compromise bills or how the two bodies hammer that out? Well, right now, Speaker Nancy Pelosi is not allowing the bill to come to the floor for a vote in the House, and there it would be just a simple majority. So an effort has been made. There is a discharge petition that is sitting, they call it sitting on the desk, but it's an active petition that House members themselves can go sign on saying, I want this bill to come to the floor for a vote. But we need a majority of all House members, which would be 218. We currently have 204. Every member of the Republican Party delegation in the House has signed the petition, and three Democrats have signed. But we still need 14 more Democrats to sign their name saying this should come to the floor for a vote. And so far, we've not been able to do that. Most of them are pro-abortion, and Nancy Pelosi is running a pretty tight ship. In the Senate, uh, if there are moderates who are willing, at least on something like this, this kind of trying to stop the extreme, who would be willing to cross and vote for this in the Democratic Party, who would they be? The only two I can think of are Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Doug Jones of Alabama. 
Doug Jones isn't necessarily, well, he isn't pro-life, but he comes from a conservative state, represents Alabama, so there is a possibility that he would cross over to vote for this. We had hopes for a few years that Bob Casey of Pennsylvania might start voting pro-life and helping save babies, but he has wandered so far from where his father was that it would be pretty unlikely to get something from him. How do you explain the stranglehold that the kind of extreme absolutist view on abortion through all nine months, including after birth, holds on the Democratic Party at this point? The party has let groups like Planned Parenthood, NARAL, and EMILY's List completely take over on this issue. We saw Pete Buttigieg, a presidential candidate, just this week, telling a supporter, not a supporter, but another Democrat, that pro-lifers are not welcome in the party. Bernie Sanders has said the same thing, that if you are not pro-choice, you're not welcome in the Democratic Party. So I think it's just these groups have been active, they have a lot of money and have been helping run campaigns, and they have determined what the party position is going to be. And if you are a Democrat and you support protecting unborn babies, that's just too bad. They don't want you. What kind of chances do you give this bill? It's going to be very difficult. We need 14 more votes in the House to get a majority. And at this point, you know, we've been working for almost a year and nobody is budging. In the Senate, we need 60 to prevent a filibuster of the bill. And we are going to fall five to seven votes short on that. So I don't see it happening this year. Certainly the president has been pushing this. He brings it up at all of his rallies that he wants to sign the bill, but we don't have the votes yet. So this is something that is going to carry on through this year, and we'll see where we are after the election next year as to whether or not we have the votes to actually pass this. Are you encouraged by President Trump's State of the Union address where he explicitly mentioned bills like this? Oh, very much so. He takes every opportunity to talk about abortion, uh, the sanctity of life, every child being a creation of God. He's just been really great at bringing this and keeping this as an issue in the forefront. He mentions it in all of his rallies. He will include it in speeches, as he did in the State of the Union address. And it's just very encouraging, and it's certainly energizing people in the pro-life movement that they want to get involved and make a difference because this has become such a big issue for the country. When you first started your pro-life work and then through those years as legislative director for National Right to Life, now president, did you ever imagine back then that you would have to be advocating for a bill that would explicitly protect a child that survived an abortion from being killed on the spot? No. No, this was probably back around 2015, 2016, when we were getting into a presidential election year. And you could really tell that the other side was doubling down. They were not going to accept any limits whatsoever. You know, there had been some hint, some recognition that that's kind of where they were going. But when it came to the 2016 election, I think they just finally said, this is it. We can't lose the Supreme Court. We can't lose the federal courts. We cannot allow any limits on abortion, and they've just been pushing it very hard, and most of the Democrats, at least those in elected office, are having a very hard time doing anything but following that line. 
Carol Tobias is president of National Right to Life. You'll find a link to National Right to Life at issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Carol, thank you. You're welcome. Have a great day. We began a conversation with Dr. Tyler Arnold yesterday on pastoral visitation. It continues next. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we'll study the Spirit's work, guide it into all truth, a little while, ask in my name, and the beginning of Jesus' prayer of consecration. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, as we continue our walk through St. John's Gospel on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily verse-by-verse Bible study on demand at thewordendures.org and on the Lutheran Public Radio app. Defending life from beginning to end. You're listening to Issues Etc. This is Dr. Russell Dawn, President of Concordia University Chicago, with a message for parents, grandparents, and godparents of college-bound children. Concordia Chicago is a distinctive, comprehensive university of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. We're devoted to our Lutheran confession and committed to strong academics. Please encourage your child, grandchild, or godchild to check out Concordia University Chicago at cuchicago.edu. Do you know any military veterans in your church or community? Do you have a passion to support and reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Then Operation Barnabas is for you. Called by Christ's love, Operation Barnabas engages, empowers, and equips LCMS faith communities to provide hope, healing, and support to military-connected persons living in their community. Operation Barnabas is a program of LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces. Find out more at lcms.org slash armedforces.